It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. You are Locked On Vikings. Your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. Every day. I know everybody says we need to win out. I just want to beat, beat uh, Indianapolis this week. And, uh, you know, then we'll worry about the next game and the next game after that. But, you know, if we start thinking about down the road and this and that and all these different scenarios, then we're not, then we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm always of the understanding that you, you kick it off, you win as many as you can, you count them up in the end and see what happens. So... That's what we're going to try to do. It's Locked on Vikings on a Tuesday on the Locked on Podcast Network. Sam Ekstrom hosting. Sage Rosenfels out today, back tomorrow. So we're joined by extremely special guest, Arif Hassan, at Arif Hassan NFL. He is a journalist for coldomaha.com and 1500ESPN.com. Arif, will pick your brain quickly because you may or may not have a very important interview with a certain Minnesota Viking in about 30 minutes. So we'll let that sit, let that tease, and uh, we'll talk to you about other stuff right now. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, doing okay. I had a lot of scraping to do on the windshield this morning. Um, it was the type of ice that almost had like three layers to it. It did not come easily. You needed two hands to really, to really, you know, lower yourself into it. You needed some leverage. It was not easy. Oh yeah, it's been that kind of day for me too. I mean, the exhaust is freezing to the pavement, so <laughs> it's been it's been uh, typical but weird, I guess. I have this terrible problem, and. If my parents are listening, they they didn't raise me this way. They always taught me to keep my gas tank full at least halfway, especially in the winter. Um, But I have a terrible habit of never filling my gas tank all the way. I put three, four gallons in just to get from point A to point B. And uh, and I'm always, you know, saying that prayer, hoping that it turns on uh, because the gas light is perpetually on orange. (laughs) Sort of been a pretty bad day for it to uh, suddenly stall out. Yeah, I'm I'm playing Russian roulette with my gas tank, but I made it here. We're talking to you right now, Minnesota Vikings, seven and six, needing to win out to make the playoffs. So, I mean, I guess we'll talk scenarios to start off because I think that's kind of the starting point for any Minnesota Vikings conversation at the moment. You know, a lot of people are are I think kind of starting to mail it in. They're saying, oh, the Vikings didn't get any help on Sunday. The the outlook is bleak. But I'm in no way thinking the Vikings won't make it if they win their next three games. I mean, number one, you've got Detroit and the Giants playing each other on Sunday, so somebody has to lose. Then you've got the Giants and Redskins playing each other in a couple weeks, and, you know, Tampa plays Dallas, and, and there there's a lot of tough games ahead for the Vikings' foes. 
I think if Minnesota just handles business, 10-6 and six will get them in in some fashion. Yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult to imagine a scenario where 10-6 and six doesn't get them in. Uh, obviously, the Lions are basically slated to win the division unless I think they have to lose out, essentially, yeah. uh, for, them to, uh, for them not to get the division. So the scenario where the Lions lose out and the Giants, I think they have to win two more because the Vikings have a tiebreaker over them or you know the Redskins win two more or something like that. Then you're in a situation where where the Vikings are are in a really tough spot, uh, and even then, you know, there's the possibility that the Vikings, uh, you know, are in just because, you know, the wild card situation. If you're ten and six, is a lot better than if you're nine and seven because you have fewer tiebreakers to worry about. Uh, with the NFC East resolving itself kind of the way it has been, uh, you know, there's I think there's a lot of possibilities for the Vikings. I think it's more unlikely that the Vikings uh, don't make the playoffs if they get in if they if they win out than than any other scenario. Absolutely right. And if they go nine and seven, I mean, they're probably out. There's probably no way they can luck their way in then because they just don't have any tiebreakers unless it's New York. The Vikings don't have any conference record tiebreakers. They lose most of the head to head tiebreakers. So it's shaping up where you handle your own business. You get in. It's probably going to come down to that big Green Bay game on Christmas Eve and then Vikings Bears on New Year's Day. And you're taking for granted that the Vikings can handle business against Indianapolis. But let's look back to Jacksonville for a moment. I think pro, the passing game looked a little more explosive. Con, the running game took a step back after showing some encouraging signs the previous two weeks. Do you have any solution for the goal line rushing woes? Because it's it's the same thing over and over again. And some of those creative wrinkles that we saw from Shermer early on with Linval, with Ellison on the sweep, uh, and what have you, those are gone. And Asiata up the middle for a yard. It's just not been getting it done. Yeah, uh, you know, I was I was taking a look actually at, uh, at all of the goal line plays earlier today, uh, seeing if I want to write a piece about it. And the really crazy thing is that there's not one problem. If you, if there was one problem, you may be able to design a set of plays around that one problem. But you know, sometimes you know, players missing their cut block. Another time, a player's missing who they're supposed to be blocking. Another time, they simply aren't getting enough push. Uh, the successful play they had last week, though, had a touchdown was the simplest play that they called, actually. It was just, uh, like, like you said, Asiata up the middle. Asiata just, oh, uh, Asiata decided uh, not to, uh, to, to make a read or anything like that. Uh, and uh, as a result, he just kind of let the blocks develop in front of him, uh, and he made a play, which is uh, kind of the least likely scenario, I think, out of all of them. But I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. The most uh, likely solution is to get creative, maybe spread the ball out, only have five offensive linemen instead of six offensive linemen, maybe not have a fullback out there, go four wide, uh, and even have the linemen line up a little bit wider in their splits, threaten a quarterback draw, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, you may be uh, a little bit more amenable uh, to something along the lines of a, uh, of a quarterback sneak. You know, those have a pretty high success rate, even with, you know, the way that Sam Bradford's taken a beating this year, you have to score. Uh, so there's a lot of potential solutions you could design more innovative play calls, get Linval back in there at fullback, uh, or you could do what some teams have done and just spread out wide, or uh, you could do what the Patriots do and let your quarterback score instead. Somebody actually asked Mike Zimmer about the Linval formation yesterday, and he said they might go back to it. He said they kind of left it because Linval was banged up a bit, which I don't think we ever heard about, but Linval had some aches and pains. They didn't want to put him on offense, which makes plenty of sense. That's a, a valuable piece to your defense, but from a running game standpoint, how would you evaluate the, the Asiata and McKinnon performance this year? And is it fair 
to evaluate the running backs when the offensive line has had so many issues. Can you look at what the running backs have done independently of how the line has sort of failed them at times and come away with anything meaningful? Uh, really, the only way that I think that you could fairly evaluate the running backs is to take a look at play-by-play, play, go into exhaustive, exhaustive detail about how you know how this play failed or how it succeeded, why it failed, why it succeeded, and you have to become somewhat familiar with the blocking schemes just because it's just not obvious what's happening just because of how poorly the offensive line is doing. I think in extreme situations, uh, like in the Dallas offensive line with how good they're run blocking or with the Minnesota offensive line with how poorly they're run blocking, you really have to pay a little bit of extra attention just to get an understanding of how the running backs are doing. And in this case, you know, that's been something I've been trying to do. I think aside from the first quarter of, of this specific game, both McKinnon and Asiata actually did uh, you know, a really good job. I think that uh, you know, Asiata made some poor decisions. McKinnon made more poor decisions in the first quarter uh, that were entirely you know, sort of his fault uh, in terms of you know, decision-making and things like that, vision and, and figuring out sort of where the blocks are developing. But, you know, after that, I thought McKinnon was outstanding, uh, both as a receiver and as a running back. And Aziata actually, you know, let a lot of things, uh, you know, happen and, and get stuff done in front of him. That's how he got that 23-yard run. He also got uh, some nifty other runs in there as well. So I think individually you'd say that the game was actually pretty good for the running backs, even though together I think they averaged uh, under maybe three yards a carry or something along yeah. those lines. Uh, it's it's tough. Yeah, it was a 2.9 day once again. Uh, I think the average for the season, I think it's still a tick below three, but they're, they're getting up to that threshold. They might not embarrass themselves with a sub three yards per carry. We'll have to see how that plays out. But on Sunday against Jacksonville, McKinnon had six catches, and on a number of those catches, you know, there was one really ugly one where Bradford shouldn't have thrown it, and and then McKinnon actually made a guy miss. But Altogether, I think he was pretty successful through the air, and it seemed like something the Vikings should have been doing more of all season because McKinnon, uh, for whatever reason, I think he's got better vision when he gets in the open field, doesn't have to look through linemen and find those smaller holes. When he's got a lot of space, he's got really good vision, and he can use his shiftiness, I think, more to his advantage, which he did a couple times. Six catches for McKinnon. Give me some more of that. That seems like a nice recipe. Yeah, I think so. And they have to be pretty careful about how they design them in two situations, uh, especially the one that you're talking about. Uh, you know, it was not necessarily the greatest situation for McKinnon. He made the most of it as he could. Uh, but, yeah, the, that, that weird broken play uh, that, uh, that ended up uh, it turning into big yardage for McKinnon uh, was pretty good as well. Some of the design stuff, mostly on the same drive, uh, was all really exciting to see. And the Vikings were even experimenting with ways uh, to create that space for him more than just simply giving him the ball ahead of the line of scrimmage. They're running, you know, these packages where you've got a lot of receivers going vertical, not something that, you know, they're known for doing, uh, you know, under the Pat Shermer offense. And get, that gives McKinnon a lot of space and doing a lot more with that. So, uh, you know, hopefully this is an offensive evolution that they, that they continue going forward with. But it does mean you're taking a pass protector out of the box. So it might be situational depending on sort of whether or not they're up against a blitz heavy team or something like that so you know sort of every positive wrinkle yet to a game there's something that you're taking away from it and in some games especially with the pass protection that Bradford had gotten as of late not in this game great pass protection but as the, as he's gotten of late you know sometimes it's not feasible yeah that's a great point it's locked on Vikings speaking with Arif Hassan at Arif Hassan NFL quick word from one of our partners betdsi.com if you love football, you need to get in on the action at BetDSI.com. They've been in business over two decades. They're top-rated, they're safe, and they've got an outstanding special right now for football. Sign up today, 
and get 10 free dollars to try their service. BetDSI is also offering a 100% bonus on your first deposit. They have outstanding customer service, fast and easy payment of winnings, and hundreds of football, basketball, hockey, bowl season wagers to choose from. You can even get off the beaten path with UFC if you want. BetDSI has live in-game wagering on football, basketball, and all other sporting events. You can play virtually everything at BetDSI. BetDSI.com. BetDSI.com. Go there now and use promotion code VIKINGS10 to get your free wager and start winning today. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash On the defensive side of the ball, Vikings put Sharif Floyd on the injured reserve, which culminates a horrid season for the former first-round pick. He plays 25 snaps in the Tennessee game, gets an arthroscopy on his knee, which should have taken about a month and a half, and he misses the entire season. Obviously, you've heard the quotes from Zimmer. He is in Zimmer's doghouse for sure. And I put out on Twitter yesterday, I mean, and who would have expected this But I think the Vikings would like to have that fifth-year option on Cordero Patterson rather than Sharif Floyd at the moment. I think his future is suddenly pretty murky. If you told me in the offseason that that's how it would have played out, I wouldn't have understood that at all. Um, But, yeah, yeah, that that, that is how it's going. You know, I I don't really understand sort of how this this happened. I know Zimmer mentioned, you know, a couple weeks ago that, you know, they thought they were dealing with, you know, a small bang-up and not like six years' worth of accumulated Damage, which is, which, I mean, which sad, that sounds awful. I think that's, you know, maybe a little bit hyperbolic. Uh, but it's, you know, it's something the Vikings definitely didn't anticipate. Otherwise, it would have put him on IR right away. Uh, and it would have been nice to see him play because, you know, those 25 snaps were pretty good 25 snaps, honestly. Uh, and, uh, and I'm sure, you know, uh, you know, the Vikings would, would like to have him back, um, but probably not on the terms that he'll accept. I wouldn't be surprised if he went elsewhere for better terms. And the Vikings are kind of just sort of, fed up kind of maybe not necessarily with him but everything that comes with with having an injury prone player are the vikings rotating less on the defensive line this year because you know last year i seem to remember they used a quite a bit more of justin tratow and who actually had two interceptions last year i don't think he's played at all on defense this season and obviously you know not having floyd changes things with the tackles but they i remember them using kenrick ellis a decent amount last year and they seemed to, to use four per game, uh, whether it was defensive ends or defensive tackles. This year, they pretty much got three and three. They've got three tackles and three ends that they use regularly and mix in and out. Have you noticed that, and why do you think that might be? Oh, I think they're definitely rotating fewer players, but I think they're rotating them more often. I think that the starters you see at the beginning of the game are taking fewer snaps this year than they were last year. It's just the same players are taking their snaps as opposed to last year when you saw sort of a rogue gallery uh, of players taking those snaps. And I think the reason, in part, is specialization with the defensive tackles. Shamar Stefan is a very, very good run defender. Tom Johnson is a superior. He's an excellent pass rusher, but he has his problems in the run game. Uh, and so they just put them in those situations whenever that works out. 
Uh, and then, uh, you know, you see it with Neil Hunter taking, you know, Brian Robinson snaps, or in these situations, Brian Robinson taking Shamar Stephan snaps, while then Neil Hunter takes, you know, that, that left defensive end spot. Uh, and it's it's just been a really effective pass, uh, package. I'm sure you've seen that statistic that Vikings PR put out. You know, it's the most sacks from uh, any set of defensive ends this year, uh, you know, between those three, uh, between Robinson, uh, you know, Griffin, and Hunter. And I think that you're right that Tratow has taken maybe, you know, three or so snaps all year from scrimmage. I did a quick study yesterday of the last four games. Vikings have 13 sacks in those four games. I'm trying to figure out what their best line combination has been in that stretch. Do you have a guess on which four players have been on the field together for the most of those 13 sacks? I'm going to guess three of them are Griffin, Robison, and Hunter because they've been employing that package a lot more with Robison as a stand-up guy. Mm-hmm. Uh I, sh- I should probably figure out who is taking a bunch of snaps in that Carolina game. Uh, but that fourth defensive tackle, that's a toughie because you could argue for Linval or Tom Johnson. I'm going to say Tom Johnson. You are correct. And this is just since the Arizona game. So Arizona, Detroit, Dallas, Jacksonville, 13 sacks, and six of them have come from Hunter on the left, Robison, then Johnson, and Griffin on the play pretty much every, um, in there pretty much every snap. So, I might go back even further and look at all of the sacks from this year and see if that plays out the entire season. But, you know, that defensive line's really gone under a nice little renaissance here. They had a dry spell with three sacks in four games. Now they've got 13 in the next four games. And I think that's really going to be the reason why they run the table, if they can run the table, is because when those four are setting the tone, the Vikings suddenly become just a transformationally good defense. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, you know, I wrote about this earlier, uh, that the defensive line and their performance against the Dallas Cowboys was the best performance that, li- that offensive line has seen in three years. It's it's just an incredible performance they put together against that line. Uh, and it's going to be the reason, you know, especially with Harrison Smith out, it's going to be the reason that the Vikings will have any chance in these next couple of games. And they've got some pretty favorable matchups against, you know, a bad Colts offensive line, an injured Bears offensive line, a really up-and-down Green Bay offensive line. Uh, it, it's going to be uh, sort of the difference maker. And, and, you know, the difference between, you know, what's been happening in these games and what's been happening in other games is that, you know, the Vikings are able to finish a little bit better. Maybe that's because of play design, the amount of stunting that they're doing. But they were getting pressure earlier. They just weren't getting home. And, you know, some of that has to do with, you know, players like Aaron Rodgers being really good at getting rid of the ball. But, you know, a lot of it just has to do with, you know, how wide those angles are, just, you know, the, the coincidences that occur, you know, play to play. So, uh, that defensive line has been putting in a lot of really good work, and it's nice to see that uh, with the rotations that they're getting and giving, they're still a relatively you know, energetic and healthy defensive line because you're right, they're absolutely critical. Last one, Arif, then we'll let you go. Vikings playing in London next year against the Cleveland Browns. You going? <laughs> well, if uh, if Cold Omaha is paying, I'd certainly like to go. But otherwise, I think I wouldn't be able to manage it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they can delve into those deep pockets they have at the front office uh, and, and maybe send both of us there. I don't know. Honestly, though, I don't mind being the road team in a London game because it almost feels like you get half of a road game taken away, you know, more kind of more of a neutral site. I bet a lot of Vikings fans will be at that game as well. I can't imagine the Browns have too big of an international crowd. You know, even though it is the Browns, you still don't have to go into a road stadium. And even though you have the burden of traveling and messing up your schedule, I think if you're going to play a London game, that's about as good a scenario as you can ask for. 
Yeah, the key is that the Vikings get to retain their eight home games, and the bonus is that, uh, you know, like you said, basically essentially half a road game is taken away. And I think that you're right. I was talking to a couple of Vikings fans who are admittedly biased, but a couple of Vikings fans in London uh, who said that the Vikings have a much, much larger following in London, primarily because of 1998, uh, than uh, than the Browns do. So uh, it might be more of a home atmosphere. I guess it kind of depends sort of how, how that season's playing out. It's going to be week seven or eight. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the Vikings could be in the thick of things uh, by then. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be pretty exciting. The Vikings are undefeated in international games. Granted, four of those were, were preseason games, so I'm not sure how much of that counts. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like like the Will said, it's, it's an opportunity for the Vikings to sort of expand the brand. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we're going to see a London game that, it's actually exciting and competitive and fun. It's been a while since we've had one of those. Yeah, Vikings and Steelers back in 2013 was pretty good. 34-27, Vikings won that game. I think Peterson had a long run. Greg Jennings had a long touchdown. If they could duplicate that kind of effort, that'd be nice. Uh, hopefully no ties like Washington and Cincinnati had earlier this year. That was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> Arif Hassan, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll let you go to your business. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. At Arif Hassan, NFL. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes. Leave a five-star rating. Follow me on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. Other great shows across the network, Locked on NFL with Matt Williamson, Locked on Fantasy with Vinny Iyer, and Locked on Timberwolves with Zach Bennett. Tom Thibodeau playing his former team tonight in Chicago. This is Locked on Vikings, and this is the Locked on Podcast Network. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.